0: Welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by...
1: Mason Joseph.
0: And we have a a, a reoccurring guest again today, and we've been talking for 40 minutes because he's such a captivating and entertaining person. We all have way too much to talk about, which is why Mm -hmm. Childerberg will be super fun. Yes. And why it always is very fun is because everybody has interesting things to say. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, guest? (laughs)
2: Well, thanks for having me, guys. I am Rollo McFlugel, uh, co-host of the Rollo and Slappy show uh, that you can find at McFlugel.com.
1: Yeah. And we were going to have Slappy on. And if I can ever get Jacob to give me Will's uh, phone number, I was going to try to get Will on the show as well. And I had this really, really like a throwback plan where I was going to be like, and we've got Slappy from Rollo and Slappy and we've got Will. Oh, yeah, and we've got Rolo. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes. Mason, you always yeah.
2: unintentionally <laughs> just absolutely roast me.
1: But I was going to do it on intentionally this right. time. <laughs> well, you're not allowed to. It's, it's got to exactly. be unintentional. Because you're, you're the one who actually showed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one guy <laughs> who I can't contact other than on Facebook, despite having known him for near four years now.
0: I honestly don't actually know I don't actually know that I have Will's actual phone number. I usually message him on Twitter.
1: Oh, that that's funny. That makes a lot more sense. And then like, you know, Slappy had like legitimate reason not to be here, like a very a very fun family reason. Like it was perfectly fine. It was just like my best laid plans to be an ass. That's <laughs> it's what you get. That's what
2: you get, Mason. <laughs> It's got to be off the cuff roasting of Rallo. Then everything will fall into place. That's true. <laughs> you got to that let-
0: That's what makes it the most fun is yeah. that Mason never does it intentionally. It's just like, it just works out that way.
2: It's, it's that thing where you got to like, let go, let yeah. go and you can yeah. have control and freedom.
0: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so, you know, kind of on, uh, something that Mason brought up earlier that we'll probably start the show out with, uh, I, I go frequently onto Landwatch to look for locations for Childeberg town. And I was uh, checking the futures on the stock market as I do. And all of my advertisements all over this are acreage in Texas. Cause I've been thinking more and more that possibly Texas is going to be the location of Childeberg town, even though I prefer the kind of the Alpine mm-hmm. environment. Uh, a- again, as we discussed before the show started, um, like I felt better being in Texas. You know, I just, for the listeners who didn't know, I just got back from a long road trip, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And there were two places that I felt extremely comfortable in Texas and, uh, Tucson, Arizona or Tucson as we, as Victoria and I were calling it when we were there because it (laughs) spelled weird. Uh, like those were like the two places we felt really good being, or I, I felt really good being everything else was really cool and fun. But like, I always had this kind of like nagging nervousness uh, everywhere else that like some mask Nazi was going to come bug me.
1: I was going to say the Gestapo like I, was going to show up and try yeah, to take you or down. Like,
0: or not, maybe not that not the Disga- Gestapo, but like an Uber Karen would like, sh- would like start yelling at me and then I'd be like filmed. A Gestapo, and be online. Man. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like,
1: let's be honest. Like that's what the Gestapo was. Uber Karen. Uber Karens, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, and, you know, the, the, it was really pretty in Tucson. I'd like to go back and visit. I don't know that I'd want to live there.
1: I was going to say, with uh, in the
0: summer and then, yeah, you wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but like, but Hill Country, Texas is super beautiful. Land's not. Expensive. It's basically where we have Childeberg, and i was saying maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the location for Childeberg town. Maybe it's just happenstance that
1: around the corner from Alta Marfa, like
0: down there would be nice too. We actually passed by Alta Marfa on our way back, but it was late, so we weren't really able to see much. Because I white knuckled it and did uh, a 15 hour drive on the way back. (laughs) When we were done, I was just like, Victoria was like, I I don't want to see anymore. Let's just go home and. Um, we were about 13, I think Tucson's about 13 hours away, but we had the dogs, So we had to stop pretty frequently to let them pee in and, and run around and stuff like that. So it just ended up being 15 hours of driving. I
2: thought, <laughs> I thought you were stuck in Colleen or something. I was going to say, right, it's right.
1: like all those like r- trip getting home from Childerberg one. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just- I, you know what? I, I like to drive. I like to drive a lot when it's light out and I can kind of see stuff. Mm-hmm. Once it gets dark, I hate it. Like well, It's just it's so boring.
1: That's one of those things where it's like, it's nice when you have somebody like me where like, I don't have a problem driving at night when it's night. I hate that middle period where it's becoming night. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind driving during the day, but I can drive at night pretty well. Like, you know, I don't have any vision issues. So that's one of those ones where it's like, that's like a good tag team. But like yeah. after a certain point, it's just like, no, we're just going to get this done. It's like one of my wife and I drove across the country, moving her out here. Instead of switching off every couple of hours, we switched off every day. Like we just drove for as long as that one person could drive for the day and then stopped. There's just like, no, like there's no point in like trying to get somebody to start again.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah and that's, it's kind of Victoria doesn't, didn't drive any of it. Um, she just rode, but it, it was, it, it's a lot more pleasant, even even with the dogs, it's just more pleasant. Like just having some company in the car, right. It, yeah. it is better. I, I
2: like driving too, and I don't mind solo driving. and what was what was fortunate for me, driving from Colleen to St. Louis was in the beginning driving from up up like through Dallas and Waco and everything. It's kind of interesting. and then mm-hmm. um, I was worried about Oklahoma because i I've been in Oklahoma before, but southeastern Oklahoma is gorgeous it's not oh yeah it's it's not like the rest of oklahoma so that was that was awesome but then you know night came and i got on to i guess it's is it uh interstate 44 and went from the southwest corner of missouri up to st louis and it is just straight a straight shot and just nothing and it was just pitch black and the thing that kept me awake and alert was every every 10 minutes i would pass an 18 wheeler so i had to switch into the left lane and right <laughs> that that was my uh, excitement but uh, yeah that that was and you know i've been driving for many hours before that so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well i mean and it, it it's fun but it, it gave it gave a really good opportunity for us to see a lot of the southwest and and um kind of get a feel for how things are going in the age of the covid <laughs> and uh and also like i got to see the grand canyon which i'd never seen before and joshua tree which i had i've always wanted to go and never went and it was pretty cool victoria th- thought it was kind of unimpressive, but. Uh, they weren't charging anybody to come in. It's normally 30 bucks for a car and they were just waving people through because they didn't want to process credit cards, I guess, cause of COVID or something. And, um, government. which was nice. And then also, uh, the efficiency. Sonora, what's that? I said government efficiency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the Sonora, uh, mm-hmm. desert park or whatever was really, really cool. Like those, you know, those like classic cactus that have like the arms They uh-huh. look like, a. Like they, those are, they're really cool looking Yeah, and in person. It was really fun. And they had like a, a cool uh, like desert garden with all of the different plants and stuff like that, that grow in the desert in that area. There was a ton of coyotes that were not afraid of people at all. They were just, they just came like right up to the car and were like, what's going on here? Can we uh, live with you now? <laughs> what's that? Can we live with you Do- now? No,
1: no, no. <laughs> that's what I, I'm saying. I, is, I, I mean, mean they act they're giving. It's like, we could live with you. <laughs>
0: yeah that's that's probably it yeah you know give us some food that's probably what it is i bet you people give them food Mm -hmm. and they uh so they come
1: up i bet people started giving them food to make them go away because people are so afraid of coyotes because they can be very vicious
0: they can be we have one in the neighborhood and and these are these were like not big coyotes the texas coyotes are really big Mm -hmm. they're like twice the size of molder it's crazy and uh well they're probably not that heavy but they're they're lanky physically longer. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and it lives in the neighborhood and we see it pretty frequently when I'm walking the dogs, but all you have to do is kind of give it a, like kick toward it. It's not even close enough to kick it, but like kick toward it and kind of go like blah or whatever. And it (laughs) takes off. Uh, but, and and that's kind of what they want you to do. They want you to, you know, Mm -hmm. scare them so that they don't, they don't get comfortable coming up to people because they're wild animals, and oh, and yeah. also I don't I don't want it in my yard or anywhere near my dogs because it could have some sort of disease.
1: Oh, they're also
0: predators for dogs, so that's true. Yeah, and Foxy's pretty small. This one, prop, I don't I don't think it would, but it could kill her. I don't think it would try to use not, Foxy as a food not, source. Not one. Yeah, like, in but Foxy it, 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 they don't. It, they don't, it, they don't they don't typically hunt in packs but uh no, although coyotes they have been known to yeah coyotes
1: are like the the main issues we have with in coyotes in the u.s is pack coyotes like ones that operate well in they the don't
0: pack. and they're they don't typically do that that's like that's learned behavior from my understanding is like is that in california they've started packing which is unusual and in um and up in the northeast, where they've mixed with wolves, they've started packing. So they're coy mm-hmm. wolves; they're not actually coyotes.
2: Are they packing uh, nine but, millimeters?
0: Right. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Maybe they're some very
2: plane You
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they'll show you who's boss.
0: But, but so on that on that note though enough enough of me uh, enough reminiscing of, about the trip I is say enough that, of our that was, shenanigans. Yeah, your question to us was why don't you ask it, and that and all and that kind of explains why it's relevant to what I was talking about.
1: So my my thing is I'm gearing up to try to make 2021 the best year for me because I've I've gotten really lax on personal development and growing, and and that's one of the things that like I've always found interesting, especially about like Rolo is it, like the feel that I get is he's very fulfilled. You're very fulfilled by your job and I'm not. And the, all the stuff that I'm interested in, I've never taken the leap and done. So, so this year I'm going to find a way to become financially free, whether I become financially free or not this year, you know, that's another question, but like, I'm going to make significant moves down the road to change my life. Cause after getting COVID at work and I don't blame the people I got COVID from, like they weren't intentionally like they didn't know. And and I didn't get super sick and like, I didn't have any of those problems, but I'm just like, yeah, never again. Like I can never be in a situation where I have to deal with that sort of nonsense. So that's what I was like. And you know, like, Jacob, like you and I have got to push each other along on things because we both have that tendency to not move along. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, okay, how do I get Jacob to make me responsible? And how do I make Jacob responsible for his projects? Well, let me bring it up on the podcast continuously throughout the year. <laughs> so <laughs> It's early January. Tomorrow is my birthday, so I figured I'd ask ah. of two people I like a lot. Uh, what are you guys going to do to uh, – Move the needle in your own lives this year.
0: Rollo, you want to go first?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great question. Um, so I'll start out with saying that not that I'm not fulfilled by my job. I, I do mm-hmm. get fulfillment out of it, but it's not the main driver. Um, it's a means to an end for me, like, you know, most people's jobs. And I enjoy it. You know, I like I like the problem-solving that, that comes with, uh, you know, working in the petrochemical industry as an engineer and also like my coworkers a lot. So it's, you know, I can wake up in the morning where, you know, right now it's Sunday night and mm-hmm. a lot of us experience the Sunday scaries. I
0: mm-hmm. haven't
2: really experienced that in since my last job. Uh, and that's, that's kind of like a Zen area for me is that I, you know, I can, it's Sunday night. I'm not dreading waking up tomorrow morning, Monday morning and going to work. So that's, that's a good spot, but that's not really what, like, I have a lot of other goals I want to do. I like, got a lot of other things that I want. Um. Uh, like I, I want to build, I w- basically I want my property to be like a homestead. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's really what's driving me. And, and, and I kind of realized it the other day or this past week or so I was talking to a coworker of mine and I said, like, you know what I really want to do is I just want to like be able to, because with everything politically and all the other nonsense going on in the world, it's frustrating and, and the threats that we're not going to be able to kind of lead the lives that we want to, because we're going to have someone kind of over top of us, wagging their finger at us and doing whatever they're doing. I was like, I just really want to like make my backyard in a place where I have all different ways I can cook with fire. I just want to go outside and, and cook dinner over some sort of fire that I, mm-hmm. you know, over some sort of instrument or, or thing that I built.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but like, obviously I can't just like be at home all day and just, and just do that. You know, I need to pay my mortgage. I need to, you know, pay other bills and everything. And I also had kind of a, a, a moment In the last few weeks, we're starting to realize um, about how just the current system that we're in is just so horrible and awful and that you can't, this was also inspired by an episode of uh, Tales from the Crypt with uh, Jack (laughs) Pollard's recently um, and and Slappy and I talked about it, I think in our last episode. It's like fiat is so bad that you can't just be a saver and save Mm -hmm. money to do the to, to live out your dreams. I mean, your, 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 your wealth gets just absolutely obliterated. So even if you're saving and not being a frivolous spender and everything that you're not really gaining any ground and it's frustrating and it's not right. It's not right. fair. Um, yeah. you know, I, I have a lot of plans that I want to do with building up my, I, I would love to, I want to finish my basement. I want to redo my kitchen. I want to redo the bathrooms. Uh, I want to build, a sunroom in the back of my house and build like an outdoor space with a bunch of stuff. I want to build a barn. I got all this stuff. And I, I, I make a good living. I do well. Um, but me just saving dollars doesn't let me, you know, do all the things that I want to do. And, and it kills me. It's frustrating. Like, I just feel like I'm barely treading water here. And, um, so what do I do? Well, well, there's this thing called Bitcoin that's been, that I've been screaming about and everything. And, you know, I think that for me, at least is the way that I'm going to really take control of my life and say, you know what, I can, I can separate myself even more from this awfulness and, and, you know, rely more on Bitcoin that it's actually something that's, you know, it's not, it can't be inflated. And, uh, You know, it's, uh, I have my ideas and and my predictions on what Bitcoin's going to do, but obviously I can't guarantee that, but at least it's something that I can take control of my life. And, Mm -hmm. and I can like my Bitcoin, you know, if I buy, you know, you know, just give an example. I buy, I buy a Bitcoin, you know, that is one out of 21 million Bitcoin. And I know that. And no one else is going to be able to change that for me. So at least I. I have the ability to say, you know what, I'm opting into a system where someone else can't change it without my permission. And that's good enough for me. And the fact that I can, can take, take some control in my life and not be subject to the whim of some bureaucrats or some, some government officials or anything that just on a whim say, yeah, I'm going to press a button and print out a trillion dollars and just eviscerate the wealth that you have. Yeah, and your purchasing power—that's good enough for me. I, f- I f- even, even just thinking this way and making the decision that I'm going to make a change makes me feel a thousand times more alive. And so that's that's what I'm going to focus on in 2021.
0: I love it. Yeah, I think that sounds good. I think I'm more along. I, I, I would maybe be, I guess, split between your thing, Mason, and and Rallo's thing is, uh. I, th- I think a large focus for Victoria and I this year is going to be personal and business development. And, uh, but also, you know, that's part of my investment portfolio or my probably actually, I would, I would more call Bitcoin for me, my saving, my savings, mm-hmm. because that's just where I put savings. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, no, I, I would say I'm, I, I guess Bitcoin skeptical, but um the, it's a good place to save. You know, it it may, you know, nobody knows what is it at at right now, 32,000 or 33,000, something like that. Mm -hmm. It could, it could theoretically if there's, because one of the things that's going on right now is that a lot of like people who are receiving that fiat money put that into Bitcoin, which raises the price of it. But as it becomes a currency that's more reliable than fiat, that price is going to be a real price rather than inflated price. So it could, you know, suddenly drop down to 4,000, which is a good buying opportunity, I guess. But, um, and that, and that would be if like, there's a huge market crash, which, you know, is likely, uh, then people would have to liquidate to cover margin. And there is a lot of institutional money in that right now. And Goldman Sachs purchased a huge amount. Um, so a lot of traditional large, uh, Financial institutions have, have purchased a large amount recently, and uh, not that that's a bad thing. I mean, that's ultimately it's a good thing. But if there's a huge stock market crash, and they need to cover margin, that's probably where they liquidate. And that's I think what happened the earlier this year when there was that big stock market crash, and it dropped down to, I think it was under four thousand for a little while, wasn't it?
2: Uh, I thought it was around five. Maybe maybe it was, maybe, maybe it was maybe. about five thousand. Yeah, I don't remember.
0: What it, yeah. Whatever it dropped to that, that's what I bought a lot, a lot of it. And some of it I sold to pay taxes. Um, but, uh, you know, but that's because it's my savings. Like that's what I use it for. So I do money goes in and money comes out. It's not, I'm not a, I wouldn't say I'm a true hodler like you, but on the sort of on the business side, like Victoria and I both have, you know, business ventures. Uh, I'm very focused on trying to make Childerberg a success, which is probably going to be a large part of the first part of the year is making sure Childeberg works out. And, um, you know, and I still do stock market investing and, and I do pretty well with that. And, uh, and I'm kind of hoping also to, um, probably not pull the trigger this year, but at least locate a place where Victoria and I at least want to have a second property, a country home or something like that. And potentially it be Childeberg town in the future or, or at least around there. So like starting on that, like that, I think is going to be, a, and, and, I'm hearing more and more like the the Zeitgeist or whatever is people moving into intentional communities with people that they can trust. I think that's a a huge factor, a huge theme that's going to be the next couple of years is people going, I don't trust the people I live around and I need to be able to trust the people I live around. And people moving out, I mean there's a lot of these kind of survival ranches and things like that where people buy in and go to those and they and and that's becoming a more and more uh, prominent thing. And it's it's sort of funny that, that, you know, that was kind of my thought last year was that, you know, I enjoy Childeberg so much. I want to be around those people and I want it to be structured in a way that the community as a whole gets to only let in people that they that they trust that are vetted unanimously. And and one of the examples I was using is this town called CeeLo in North Carolina, where they do it Quaker style, which is unanimous consent on everything. Is that nothing Nothing happens community wise. You can do whatever you want on your own property, but nothing happens community wise without the consent of the entire community. So if somebody wants to buy in, everybody has to vote yes. And if one person says no, well, tough luck, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, you should have been nicer or should have somehow convinced them. Um, and so that's, I think that's kind of going to be my focus this year is just more, more on um, independence. And yeah, I guess that's, that's the best way to put it more on independence. I think.
1: Yeah. So my, my question would be, and this is from. Like I know Jacob's position, but. Do we see the future of our lives being in the United States or like what's currently the geographic, you know, like the, like geographically where it's the United States right now, whether it's the United States in five years or not, who knows? But like, if like, you know, say you $3 million. So it's not life change, you know, end of the world, life changing money. It's not like you won the billion dollar mega millions, but like $3 million, like no taxes, like it's after taxes, like all taxes are done. Both of you, would you stay in the United States if you had $3 million? a good question yeah
2: i i've i've been maybe a month or so ago i was of the position like yeah there's pretty much no way that i would ever move out uh but more recently it's kind of like maybe like if 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 and and not to just keep harping on bitcoin but that's had an effect on me, where it's like if I'm going to go deeper into Bitcoin, and that you know necessarily requires a more personal, uh, face-to-face interaction with the state, um, for them to you know try to seize money from me. Mm-hmm. That you know, to avoid that kind of thing, I you know, for for me to protect my wealth, I might I might have to do that. I hope I hope I don't. I like the U.S. I like. Where I live, I like the people. Around. I like that I'm, you know, near near my family. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's the biggest thing. If I didn't have family, then pff, man, the world's my oyster. I'd, i yeah, I'd, I'd go anywhere. Especially
1: go. with with your with your educational background, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's very few countries where you couldn't get a job, right? Yeah.
2: Um. So I, 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 I I'm, I'm, I'm more. Short term, very short term, might be a little bit bearish on what the U.S. is going to do, but long term, I think it's going to end up being good, mm-hmm. or or at least I think things are going to sort itself out. Um, mostly because of Bitcoin, it's it's gonna. I, I I think with the game theory that's involved with it, that mm-hmm. um, I don't think that you can really fight against it when you're when you're an agent of the state, I think there's a lot more reason for you to start being friendly to it than than nasty towards it. So um and you know, you could you could say, oh, you're just wearing rose colored glasses because you're you really like Bitcoin. But uh I mean we're we're even seeing starting to see the uh the fruits of that. I mean there's a couple congressmen, you know, sitting US congressmen that are, you know, absolutely Really favorable towards Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. The the biggest being Cynthia Loomis in Wyoming, who you her, hear her talk about Bitcoin, and it sounds exactly like me.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I think and we're going to see
2: more and more of that. Bitcoin is going to start. Uh, um, what's it called?
0: Uh, infiltrating.
2: Yes, <laughs> and it's going. There, it's going to influence. You know members of Congress and everything, and, and as we see, you know Jacob, you mentioned it with these big companies that are starting to yeah. adopt Bitcoin as stores of value. You look at something like Mass Mutual that that bought a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin for their so they got three, insurance. Right? You know, it's it's not for cash holdings; it's it's part of their insurance uh, mm-hmm.
1: thing. And yeah, uh, they they literally have are starting to have to diversify be, into these extremely foreign assets to them because of what the federal reserve has done in the last 6 months alone on top of what they've been doing for the last 20 years yeah and and we know that
2: big businesses in bed with with government uh in in a very big way that you could say that big business basically is the government um and that's manifested in the fiat system in 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 very 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 bad ways mhm but if you start to think about what happens when in a, in a Bitcoin world where these big companies start diversifying into Bitcoin because they see how bad the dollar is at at storing their wealth and and protecting themselves against you know anything that's going to happen, um, that kind of turns the incentives on its head that we saw before. So you know if the government starts saying, "Hey, we want to regulate Bitcoin and, and be aggressive against it." And these big businesses that are out there that basically fund these election campaigns and keep people, keep these congressmen employed, they say, whoa, 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 you touch that, you're not getting reelected. And right. now, all yeah, of especially
0: sudden yeah, when they have a huge portfolio of it,
2: right. Now all of a sudden, the you know the tables kind of turn, and you know Bitcoin kind of kind of runs a runs as your fullback for you.
1: Well, I've got I've got two things before we get Jacob's take real quick. One, can you start a life insurance company backed by Bitcoin so I can do infinite banking but with uh, Bitcoin cuz that sounds awesome to me. I think uh, you just two, buy
2: Bitcoin. Well, there <laughs> I know yeah, there's, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, there there's some there's there's some weirdness to like I mean like if you've studied the infinite banking process, like that's my biggest thing that's holding me back on infinite banking is the inflation that's coming. And I'm like, I get it. These guys have handled quote, unquote, quote, worse, unquote things over their, you know, 130 years paying dividends and all that stuff. But it's like, okay, here's a dividend of 4%, but the going interest rate because of inflation, because of fiat is (laughs) 3000. Like, well, that was a useless thing to have done. Like, but there's other, there's other advantages to that. Um, But So there's a combination of things that, uh, you can possibly do to protect your wealth. And this is something that I'm going to really try to be working on this year. A lot is things like cook Island trust. So like in the cook islands, which is a, you know, a, a state in, uh, the Pacific, you can't sue someone without going there. And like, they have like the best legal asset protection, foreign based entity, And then there's like a Nevada-based trust that you can do. So like I've been trying to come up with, and Jacob's seen my text messages about these when I get like really drunk. And I'm like, these just hyper complicated plans of like basically transferring like my physical assets to like an LLC that's owned by like a a trust or something like that. And like all of it's legal where like they can't touch your money. Mm -hmm. So especially with like your idea and I really liked your bitcoin advisor idea like i'd probably be your first customer (laughs) because i'm like i have no idea i don't own any of it i should i know i should i don't and i'm like because i have no idea what i'm doing and i'm just like i'm gonna be that idiot who's uh in wales trying to dig up the entire uh landfill because he's got you know 200 million dollars worth of bitcoins on a hard drive he threw away 10 years ago but yeah that'd be me so i'm like i probably gotta like hire (laughs) rollo figure this out. Cause I don't know. But like, that was my kind of thought is like, there's a escape artist podcast who Jason Stapleton had on recently. He's a Canadian who's an expat. And this kind of what brought up like, cause I've been thinking about getting out of the United States for a couple of years now, mainly because I find it so limiting to live in the United States. Cause like I could go to West Virginia, West Virginia is super interesting and different than Virginia. I go to Pennsylvania. It's super interesting and different than Virginia. And then like Jacob and my wife won't shut the hell up about California. And then I'm like, yet like Chile is a thou, you know, it's super, super long, has all of these different things. And I never hear anything about it. And it's so much cheaper to live, you know? And yes, there's some dangerous things like that, but I don't think I'm going to live in the United States in five years. Like, I don't, like, I've got my wife, I've got my daughter, as long as, like, my daughter can have a good education and I can make money, like, I don't see the need to live here anymore. Because, like, I think, like, as Jacob and I have discussed many times, we're going toward that dystopian, like, cyberpunk government where, like, the government exists, but big businesses are the same thing, and they're literally just murdering everybody, and it's just like, get the hell out of there. (laughs) Like, just don't be here.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a hard uh sort of a hard question. Cause yeah, I mean you and I do talk about it all the time and I look at different places, but uh <laughs> hold on, Mulder's being crazy. Hang on, let me let him out and mm-hmm. you guys fill the dead air. <laughs> yeah. And I'll and I'll continue in a second.
2: Yeah. So like, I mean I'm I'm kind of the eternal optimist, so maybe I'm not the right I, person.
1: Well, that's the thing it. is like I I think that's like that's one of the things that I really enjoy about reading Michael Malice's Twitter is as much of a troll as he is. And as much of a like ass as he can be to the people that like support him and general people who kind of show like some sort of cognitive ability above like orange man bad. He's like, no, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but it is so worth fighting for. And to think that like Biden is somehow going to destroy this country when you had, you know, like literally the war of 1812, like a foreign army was attacking the country, you know, like things like that. Like we went through a civil war, like you don't think we can handle like a couple years of Biden before he's not president anymore, because either he craps himself to death, like Kamala smothers him in his bed, or he just runs out of his four years and nobody's going to run him again.
2: He gets like, a disease and has to resign,
1: as he said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like whatever it is, but like that's the thing is, like I'm not unoptimistic, but at a certain point, it's kind of like, what do I not see that everyone's so willing to put the effort into? You know what I mean? Like, right.
2: Well, like, and, and to to kind of a point, that what you were saying too, it's like, all right, yeah, it might get hard, and do you know, do we want to be on our at the end of our lives on our deathbed and reflecting on what we did with our lives and say, oh, I just kind of rolled over and did whatever I was supposed to do. Like, is that is that really what you want? Or like, do you want to be able to like take a stand? And no matter what you do, if that means staying here and fighting or if it means, hey, I'm going to you know move my family to another hemisphere mm-hmm. because that's what I think I, I need to do to be, you know, to, to do what's best for myself and my family and be productive for the rest of humanity. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I it, it's a different answer for every individual, but I know I don't want to sit there and live in regret. Like I had an opportunity to do something and I was afraid and I didn't do it. Like that would be yeah. all I would, I would, I would hate myself for that.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the thing mm. is like, it's the. One of the things that I never got in school, like from the myth of Sisyphus about rolling the boulder up the hill mm-hmm. is, and this is one of the things that Michael Malice talked about at one point, And I think it's from like Camus book. Sisyphus, Sisyphus is happy with that punishment. He's not distraught from that. And that's the thing is like people who are willing to fight for their ideals and beliefs and things like that. And bash their head against the wall for the next 45 years. Whereas I'm like, I can move to Panama and their government isn't doing these things. And their government isn't gearing up to do these things. And that's one of the things that was like, the rug was taken out for me. Cause like Chile was literally where I was going to move as unless I could move to, you know, like unless San Diego became its own country. And I was like, okay, I could go live in the best weather
0: ever. But and I was going. I don't. Do, I don't recommend San Diego. Based <clears on throat> currently, me being there currently. last week, and there's just homeless people well, everywhere. Or Jacob, all Coronado's are pretty. <laughs> I was
1: going to say, if 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 San Diego becomes its own country, those guys are getting drowned in the sea. So, <laughs> maybe, you know, yeah.
0: I could. Like I, I, I mean, it was astonishing. To yeah, me. I, and it, I, and, I, and I I'm always surprised when I go to California. And just the amount of homeless people is just so. But like insane. To, to be
1: honestly fair. And this is this is kind of goofy. Like, if I was going to be homeless anywhere in the country, I would yeah. go to San Diego immediately. It's just that, like that's ex- the that weather is exactly is not going to kill me.
0: That's that exactly what I told Victoria. Because yeah. I was, I was like, you know what? I mean, to be honest, if I was going to be homeless, this is the place to be. It because it's basically nice outside all the time as long as you yeah. live near the coast. Yeah, and you got a commie
1: government. So, yeah, I, I well, think exactly. and that's the thing is like San Diego isn't that accommodating to the homeless the weather is just so nice that they don't die. Yeah. Like that's the, the like the one thing. So like I was going to move to like Chile and then they recently had all these leftist riots where kids were demanding like more education and stuff like that. And I was just like, well shit, like they well, get see, a little that, bit that of money kinda, and they go freaking off the deep end on socialism again. Yeah, well, and Well, that sort of
0: brings me, that brings me to, to kind of what I was going to say before Mulder so rudely interrupted.
1: Before um, your dog decided he needed to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he saw something outside, I think, and was like, hey, there's <laughs> something outside. At, at, at least I've that's what I imagined it. he was communicating to me. Um, but it is that because that's kind of, I was, I, I sort of feel the same way as you do, Mason, is that like maybe this, maybe the United States is not the place to be. But at the same time, it, it is such a empire. It doesn't matter where you go, whatever happens to the United States is relevant to that country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we both, let's say we both, you know, in the next 10 years move to Panama, which I would love to, it looks gorgeous to me, you know, Victoria and I want to take a trip down there when she gets citizenship. Um, but right now it's kind of a pain in the butt to do it. Cause you has got to get a visa. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah. um, you know, if you and I both go there and then the, let's say the United States collapses, and then Jefferson becomes an independent principality or something like that. You know, Northern California, where I, where I, where my, you know, my heart is or whatever.
1: If it's a principality, is your uncle the prince? Because, like, I'd be there yeah. in a minute. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Something, something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, like, that, it would be something weird like that where it's like, okay, I made this commitment to a, a foreign place where I'm, I'm not culturally a part of it. I don't feel... From and, and you know, and I've been going more down this cultural road lately is is I don't feel part of panama i I don't mm-hmm. speak Spanish, I don't really get the culture. I'm sure it's fun to visit and that sort of stuff. And the weather's great, but I feel at home in very large portions of Texas in Northern California in different parts of the southwest and and actually you know as much as I dislike a lot of it, Oregon and Washington, I feel at home in those places too. Culturally, even like, and when I'm not in Portland or Seattle or San Francisco or one of the cities, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, even, even San Diego, I felt very comfortable in large parts of it. I just didn't feel comfortable with the amount of homeless that were there. Um, And this sort of goes back to that whole, the whole Sisyphus thing is uh, what if that last time you make that rock over the hill and, or, or maybe the rock going over the hill relies on you being there. And I don't know if we're going to stay in the United States or not right now. I would probably give it like 70, 30 odds that we'll probably stay in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the growing Texas nationalist movement. Like I think that might actually be something I'm, I'm, I am i i have not decided to, you know, to hitch my wagon to it or anything, but like the pushback that they're giving with the new administration and, and you, did you guys both see that, um, what's his name? The former CIA guy uh, listed libertarians among domestic terrorists. John,
1: John Brennan. Yes. Well, I'm hoping yeah, he gets Brennan, hit by yeah. a truck.
0: Yeah. So apparently we're all domestic terrorists now. And, uh, <laughs> but, but he had in his list, he had stuff that like, I would consider not necessarily mainstream, but unoffensive at least uh, to everyday people. And I think this type of reaction to Trump is a blessing in disguise. And I think, I think, Malice does kind of point this out a little bit is that this is, I think a, to use his term, like a mass red pilling of America. And I think a lot of people are seeing what's going on with the media, seeing what's going on with the government, even people who voted for Biden going, yeah, we probably can't get along anymore. We it, and I, and I'm seeing it from more and more people. I would not have expected it to be, to see it from is people that are in my kind of sphere of influence going, yeah, you know, Jake, you were, you were right. I, I, I don't think we can be one country. And if, you know, Texas splits away, I think, I think like they rank it, it between the 10th and between 10 and seven largest economies in the world, if they were split Mm -hmm. apart, you know, they, they do like a lot of the left wingers always say that they're a net taker and stuff like that. But if you, if you go listen to the Texas nationalists and the way that they break it down, it's, it's not that they're not a net taker, they're a net giver. In a lot of uh, a lot of ways, and then if you think of like the greater Texas area, meaning Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, parts of Louisiana, parts of New Mexico, Mm -hmm. the greater Texas sphere of influence or whatever is a huge chunk of the world economy. And if they were not, you know, if every Texan was you know X amount richer, how much better would that be? And if there wasn't the federal regulation on it, how much better would it be, or how much worse would it be? You know, it's kind of a two headed coin. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And,
1: oh, and and I, I think that, but
0: I I kind of want that adventure. I sort of want to be part of that.
1: Well, that and that's not, th- not
0: necessarily Texas, but any sort of independence movement in the United States. G- agreed.
1: And the, and that's the thing is like for me, one of the reasons I'm super interested. Like when we went, to, my wife and I went to Germany for our honeymoon. Like I didn't feel unwelcome, and I didn't feel unconnected from. Prague when we visited the Czech Republic when we visited like Munich and Germany I didn't feel unconnected from those places I didn't speak the language and I clearly didn't have a feel for what was going on on the streets and like I could understand being feeling more isolated you know that sort of thing but one of the things that I like especially with you having moved from here like yeah my family's here like my biological like my parents my sister my brother and like, I don't have any other siblings all live, you know, within 30 minutes of me. But like, you remember, like I moved to California to be with my wife, like no issue. And like, I connect with you online again, no issue. You know, so for me, like a lot of it is, I feel like we're going to be building a digital community unless we actually build a shoulderberg, And that's one of the reasons I'm, it was like interested in who was willing to leave the country.
0: Yeah. And I think I think this is is a very uh, and you and I have discussed this before. Something that's very different about you is I have a very strong sense of place, mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: and uh, and and you know you grew up in Hampton Roads, and as far as like I'm aware, you, you don't really feel super connected to it. You you like it fine, but um, like I do, I have a really really strong sense of belonging to a location, which yeah. is a which is I think. And, and I think your wife and I have a, a little bit of a similarity in that regard. Is that like we do feel very connected to Northern California, there or is a, of the parts of California we're from?
1: There is a lot more similarity, except for my wife is financial considerations aside, would drop everything and move to San Diego. Like, yeah, we both love San Diego so much, just because of the weather, and it's California, so it's got all the California stuff, but it's not yeah. LA. It's not Santa Barbara, but it's becoming those things mainly because yeah. of the state, like not the city right. of San Diego itself necessarily. But
0: well, yeah. And that's, and that's, I guess, I guess that kind of also our decisions on what we would do. I mean, back to kind of to rein this in a little bit back to the next year is like whatever we decide, I'm not making a international move in the next year for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not making a domestic move in the next year for sure. I am making financial moves to make those other moves possible as things unfold.
1: Correct. And and that's that's what I'm and I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get started because you've got Childerberg to manage and do. Yeah. But I wanna kind of start getting the like libertarian group together a la like a Jason Stapleton kind of thing of How do we support and push each other to become the best people we can be financially, like independent and that sort of thing? So, if an opportunity comes up to buy the perfect place for Childerberg, we have the money and we have the resources to do it, you know, as opposed to, oh, there was this, you know, 100 acres in Texas with a well, you know, like all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, it was. $300,000 and nobody had any money. So we didn't do it. And then nothing happened. So like, that's and like, and like, how do we also push each other for more personal development? Cause that's the thing that like, I see like Mike Cernovich and Michael Malice talking about Tom Woods, Dave Smith. It's like Dave Smith is a comedian, but he's never, I've never heard him complain about the loss of revenue from not being able to do comedy.
0: Yeah. So he's well, clearly yeah, he, he's yeah, yeah, figured it out kind of.
1: He's clearly doing something financially. Tom Woods didn't take a hit. Jason Stapleton may have taken a hit, but like he's been constantly trying to revamp himself. Michael Malice hasn't taken a hit, and he's you know, lives in one of the worst places other than California for lockdown. It's like, okay, so how do we all become that? Because like, you know, how many times in our own group do we see people where it's like they're struggling? And it's like, okay, well. I don't have any money to help them, but I want to.
2: Well, that's how do I
1: be able to do so? And then how do I help them become more than that?
2: I think one of the things that all, all those guys you just mentioned, one of the things that they, that they don't do is they don't externalize their problems. And I think that a lot of, and I'll pick on libertarians because that's where, you know, it's, that's our in group. There's a lot of people we're libertarians, so we understand all the problems with the government and everything and and the Federal Reserve and all these other things that are going on that cause problems in everyone's lives. And and it's very easy for anyone in general to just say, well, you know, we have taxation and we've got all this regulation, so I can't do all the things that I want to do and it's holding me down. But those guys just say, all right, I understand all these impediments in my way, but my understanding of them allows me to also navigate through them
1: yeah. um so that, the i think process that, too. yeah
2: yeah i think that's that's a big thing and i see it in a lot of libertarians they just they make excuses they say oh all these problems you know all well, the government taxes too much and you know i'd have this better job but because of regulation i can't do it and every and yeah. and, and it's frustrating well, for me it's
0: to some degree they're 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 right but also like you know you make your own bed
2: Right. And it's like, all right, so you understand that these things are in your way. So what do you, like? you know, you, you spend all this time studying libertarianism and economics and ethics and everything. Use it for something good for you. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, you see that the government's going to regulate you in this certain way and cause you all this problems. All right. Route around it. Figure figure something out. It, 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 it you know, I, I, I rip on our fellow libertarians a lot on this but it's because it like it, it kills me that these people are just you know wallowing in self-pity and almost like they're wearing poverty as a badge of honor mm-hmm. um, not that there's like yo know oh, you're a bad person if you you know if you're poor or something that's that's not the case at well, all I mean, but like
1: we we all respect like religious people who choose a life of service over wealth like the the lack of wealth is not the problem it's the lack of understanding that you put yourself in this situation it's not like these people are saying hey i opened a pizza shop with my dad he had a stroke and i couldn't manage it and i'm dealing with the bankruptcy it's like oh man the the government took my job because like i was unionized and they got rid of the union you know it's it's this nonsense where you're like None of what you're saying is even close to libertarian principles and you haven't tried to better yourself. It's like I've watched you do woodworking and you're not trying to sell something like you're not, they're not trying at all.
2: Yeah. Or, or it's just the, they have like general vague excuses where it's like, well, you know, I can't do anything but flip a burger and I can't even keep that job. Well, because the government's preventing blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, Because they won't pay me
1: $15 an hour.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it's it's frustrating to me to see these people that, you know, generally understand, you know, these problems, but they're not doing anything about it to, to better themselves. It's just it's just easier to just and and we all do that. You know, when something goes wrong in our lives, it's very easy to just say, well, this, you know, this this thing happened and it's not my fault. And it, and it very, very well may be true, but. At the same time, I mean, you got to at some point understand that no one's looking out for you except for you mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And so you really have to take accountability and you have to say, all right, this thing went wrong. I had this plan and I wanted to do this thing and something went wrong and I wasn't able to to do that plan. What could I have done to prevent that or done a better thing? Um, you know, you take control in your life instead of just saying, well, you know. I didn't know it was coming. So there's nothing I can do about it. So it's not my fault. And I'm just going to gonna go into the next thing and, and allow whatever, however, the, the tides and the currents direct me, it's going to, Oh, you know, it's not my fault. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of things that we're not expecting and things we don't know, you know, we're, we're human. So we, we don't have, we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't know everything that's coming, but man, you got to like. You, you got to self-reflect and look at like, all right, I didn't see this coming. Why didn't I see it coming? And what can I do better next time?
1: Mm-hmm. If, and if like, you, yeah it's, you it's have to perfect. do
2: that, if you don't, then, then, okay, just, just say that I'm not willing to take control for my own life and I'm going to accept whatever cards are given to me and, and not going to try to do anything. If that's what you want to do. That's fine. But I don't want to hear you complain about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
2: it's about. Accountability. It was, it was fun. like, I think a lot of this is, is informed by, you know, tying it back to what you said in the beginning, Mason, like what, what my job is. I'm a maintenance and reliability engineer and you got to take, you know, you have like half a percent of the information that's, that's out there and you got to like figure out stuff to make sure things don't break and blow up and and everything else. Mm-hmm. And when things go wrong, you got to learn from it and like apply it to the next time. Um, something, and something that happened, my last job, um, was, uh, so I was in a, in a department of like 10, 10 engineers in reliability. And, uh, we had a break room, lunchroom and everything. And when we would plug in a microwave and the refrigerators and like a toaster oven, the, the breaker would trip. So we brought in, you know, we, we put in a, a work order or something to say, Hey, we need this upgraded or whatever. So, the electricians came in and they redid stuff. And we were in there eating lunch one day after they fixed it. And the guys came in who did the electrical work. And they're like, oh, I didn't know they were going to be plugging like two microwaves into this. And I went to my coworker and said, like, oh, these idiots, they like, what do you think the break room's for other than like plugging in microwaves and stuff? And he said, did you tell them what you were going to use the outlets for? <laughs> And I was like, uh, and he goes, well, whose fault is it? He's like, you can, you can sit there and blame them. But, you know, did you take a step to, to say, Hey, this is, this is what we're doing. Like, did you go out of your way a little bit and, and try to make sure that things didn't, you know, predictable things that could go wrong that you didn't try to. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's our fault. It's my fault. I didn't do I didn't do something and how many problems, whether it's in our jobs or in our daily lives or whatever else that you can't, if you really were honest with yourself, when something goes belly up that you can't say, you know what? I kind of had a feeling this might happen, but I, for whatever reason said, yeah, I'll just kind of let it go. I think it'll be fine or I'm not going to, it's, you know what, more times than not. And I do it to myself all the time. You know, I'm constantly kicking myself saying, you know what? I was lazy, or I was too afraid, or or whatever it was that I didn't, you know, step out there and and and
1: mm-hmm.
0: do a
2: little bit more to to make sure that this went well and yeah, and so, to make it
1: right and make sure it happens the way it should, yeah,
2: yeah. And that's very it. It takes a little a little bit of work. It takes a little. It makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but at the same time, it's amazing that that lets you control your destiny. That you're not mm-hmm. that, that when you but but when you take the opposite view and say, ah, oh, with something external, then then screw it. There's nothing you can do. It just you're just gonna you're just gonna get tossed around by the waves and whatever happens, it happens. But you know, I'm uh, just you know, is that but is that what we really want? I don't think so.
1: No, I don't. And that's that's the what's such a amazing idea. And like, that's where. Like, I think as libertarians, we have to really kind of up our game on, like, I think this is, it sounds like agorism and like, kind of like stepping away, but it's also like giving us the ability to strike when the time comes. Like, right. hey, we can buy Childerberg Town or hey, like here, like we can get you know, like Mason out of this, out of the country, because we all have enough money. And like, he was the last one in and, you know, like that, just those different type of things where it's like, whatever's coming, we'll be prepared to shift as opposed to sitting there going like, well, now I'm stuck in commie California for the rest of my life because like, I can't even drive my car out of the state because the lockdown's so bad or, you know, whatever the nonsense is. I know it's not that bad, but like that sort of thing where it's like, okay, we can make that jump and that move when the time comes. Right.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. I think I think Rollo's Bitcoin kind of plays into that a little bit is mm-hmm. you know, one of my cousins is into real estate and stuff like that. And the the key component to being successful in real estate is having enough cash available when the market crashes. Mm-hmm. Because then you can buy up swaths of property for very inexpensive and the way that, you know, it'll work until it doesn't work. But until the federal government stops doing what they do, we're always going to have this boom and bust. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. If you want to go get inspired, go listen to the episode I mentioned earlier, uh, Tales from the Crip with Jack Mallers, where like, man, you want to talk about a guy who doesn't accept what his cards are that he went out and, and, and is changing things and, and taking – taking responsibility for himself and and trying to make a world a better place. I mean, Jack Mallers, he was just named the uh, 30 under 30 for Forbes. He's not even 30 years uh-huh. old yet, and he's just moving mountains.
1: Uh-huh. And
2: so he's a guy, I mean, he could have just said, ah, you know, this is really unfair. The Federal Reserve is awful and it's taking my wealth from me, but uh, i just going to kind of wallow in this thing. He said, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to, and I'm going to make tools. I'm going to route around the things, the rules of the government set, and I'm going to figure out a way to, to get around it. And he's just, he's doing amazing things. And, yeah. and it's an inspiration. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone's got to go and be a Jack Mallers cause he's, he's extremely talented and, and he's, and he's gotten certain, uh, you know, he's set up in a certain way that most of us aren't going to yeah. be, but man, he's taken, taken these advantages. He's gotten and, he, and he's running with it. And if we just, if we all just took a little bit of, of a, uh, of what a Jack Mallers does and, and apply that to our own lives, I think, you know, we could make the world and our own lives a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, Jacob, what you're doing with Childerberg talents, I think is, is a perfect example of that. You're just like, I'm not accepting what's going on with the, uh, you know what the government's doing. So I'm going to create my own thing and I'm going to create it with the people that I want to and, and, and do it, the way i want and you know try to stop me
0: yeah well yeah exactly i mean that's the thing is like we will we'll, you know come to those bridges when they come but you know there are there is already legal precedents and examples in the united states places that have done this and um and it's blowing up right now that's what's really incredible to me about this is that like this is you know you know there's uh this idea of morphic fields or whatever where like um you know, the big famous example is that, like, in England, sheep realized how to cross a cattle gate. And then simultaneously in Australia, they also learned how to cross cattle gates. Mm-hmm. But, like, how did the sheep both know it? You know, and then you see this all the time, you know, simultaneous inventions. The phone was invented in multiple locations simultaneously right. or very, very close to it. and They weren't communicating with each other and stuff. So and maybe this is the, just the milieu we live in, which is, you know, the morphic field or whatever is that everybody's going, you know, I, I, especially in the age of COVID, I can't trust anybody around me and Mm -hmm. I can't live. It's so difficult to live someplace when you can't trust people. And, um, you know, and we don't, and we don't, we're Americans. We don't want to live that way. We want to live in a place where you can, where your default position is trust. And, um, and that's a big difference between like uh, former Soviet countries and the United States is that the United States default for most of its history has been most people are uh, acceptable. You can, you can at least, you can at least like that trust is basically the thing is that like my default position is that we want to do business and nobody's trying to get over on the other person. The right. default position in Eastern Europe is that they're trying to screw me and I need to screw them first. And this causes a lot of friction in negotiation and business and stuff, stuff, stuff like that. That's why Eastern Europe typically doesn't have the the business that you know that Western Europe has or the United States in particular. And it's because in the United States, it's the default is I'll trust you until you prove not to be trustworthy. Yeah. And in and so I think that that's kind of what's going on right now is that people still have that sense, but they don't trust. I mean, we see this all the time, and like NPR has been playing these stupid. Uh, Well, they're not stupid, but they're, well, they're, they're dumb, but they're like informational where they're like, they have adult children who have been turning their parents in for COVID violation. (laughs) And you're like, but they're, they're adult children that live at home. They're like 25 year olds who live in their parents' house. And they're like, my parents aren't following COVID regulations. So they turn them in. It's like, what? Like (sighs) they gave you a roof. (laughs) That's (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna drown you in your sleep, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's it's wild. Like I mean, I don't I don't even know what I would do if if somebody in my family turned me in. Like even my family that is like true believers in this, they just don't. We just don't spend a lot of time together. But if like I had a problem, they'd be like, "All right, come stay at my house. You just got to wear a mask." And even if I didn't, they'd just be like, "Well, I'm mad at you, but I'm not turning you into the police."
1: Yeah, like and, like, and even if they kicked wild. you out of your house, their house, it's like, look, we this was the rules. Like yeah, exactly. And you understand? Yeah, go, All right, I get it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I, I just go live on the streets in San Diego.
1: Huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, we, the whole plan for this original episode was, if Slappy could join us, uh, was to do some red wine talk. And um, the so in the few minutes we have left, um, well, I guess we gone over time i think rollo may have opened a red wine that he's been saving for a while which may be a variety that jacob and i really like if he opened the one he showed me
2: yes and uh speaking of a few minutes left i only have a few ounces left (laughs) 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 maybe why i'm so fired up but yeah um is the first time i'm ever having this uh variety but uh i opened up a cabernet Franc.
1: Yeah, my favorite a yes. French Cabernet Franc. Yes. Uh, um, oh, from I'll, where?
2: Uh, well, I'll 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 say the 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 brand or the whatever the wine, which in a true tasting anarchy fashion, I'm sure I'm going to butcher.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is our <laughs> that is our tradition.
2: Uh, La petite bilaud, B I L A U D E. Uh I think it's from Pays d'Oc, P-A-Y-S-D, apostrophe O-C, 2018 Original Terroir. That's what the bottle says. Hmm. 20, is
0: it 2018? Yes. La Petite, say the other one again, I'm going to look it up real quick. B-I-L-A-U-D-E.
1: B-I-L-A-U-D. Yeah, B-I-L-A-U-D-E.
2: Yeah, so it is from Pays d'Oc, doc, P A Y S D apostrophe O C in Pays-Doc, South Doc. That's South of France. Sounds
0: like oh, South of France, really.
2: Yeah. So you want me to read the read the uh, description? Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, go for it. I, yeah, I don't. I, I I have no idea where this is from.
2: Source. From, I should know it. Source from the sunny terroirs of the Pays d'Oc in the south of France. This Cabernet Franc will offer you bursting berry aromas along with pepper hints and a lingering finish. Perfect. Served at room temperature with ribeye, pulled pork, green beans, French fries, or cheeses. This 13.5% alcohol by volume. So what's interesting oh, about- ba- this is
0: this is like way south. This I'm actually mm-hmm. surprised that they grow Cap Franc there at all. Yeah, this is like, this is on the uh, Mediterranean coast in the south of France. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Not, not, not exactly on the coast, but- uh, it's like let's see there's there's going to be something I c- so you know where Andorra is the micronation mm-hmm. it's like northeast of Andorra and not that far
2: Okay So what was in what was what was kind of neat about this was I I opened the bottle and I poured it and take it take, took a sip and it was very smooth and like no boozy taste at all and very j- very jammy. I finally mm-hmm. get to use that. You guys say that all the time. Very jammy, like dark cherry, some blackberry. Um, but what I actually what I cooked for dinner tonight was um I uh, spatchcocked a chicken uh. and put it in a, like a brine marinade and uh, cooked it over fire. So I've been getting into uh, Churrasco which is the Brazilian uh, grilling. If you've ever yeah. been to like Brazilian steakhouse, that kind of thing where they, mm-hmm. they always have things on skewers and everything. So it's it's similar to grilling, but instead of just like hot coals, it's like actually fire. And uh, I was doing some yard work today and was in my, uh, I've got a 55 gallon drum that I burn, you know, branches and, and everything and brush in. And so what I did was I put it over top of that. I'll have to send you guys some pictures of it and so it uh I had the, the the chicken kind of cooking over that and i thought that the the intensity and aggressiveness of cooking over fire would uh pair well with a, a cabernet Franc, you know a, a aggressive dry red wine and it uh actually the way i it was actually the chicken was very delicate tasting
1: oh uh, interesting
2: so it it didn't actually pair that well. The wines, I, I, I like the wine. It's very good. <laughs> um, but what I noticed is when I was eating the chicken, especially like the breast meat. Well, oftentimes when I roast a chicken, I roast it right uh, sitting in a roasting pan. So it like it fries in its own grease. But with this, since it was raised up like three feet over the flames, you know, all, all the grease was able to drip out. So the, uh-huh. uh, the breast was very lean. And what I noticed was that I felt like it wanted to, the wine wanted to cut through, you know, fat and everything on my tongue and it wasn't. So all of a sudden when I was eating it with the chicken, it tasted very boozy and the tannins were really like front and center and really like pulling down on my tongue Mm -hmm. and the rest of my mouth. Um, What'd you have for sides? Fire roasted broccoli. And that, that yeah, the char from the broccoli was accentuated by the wine.
1: Yeah, we, you gotta, you gotta sh- like send, send me how you did that. That sounds pretty awesome.
2: Oh, it was just over the the fire. I just mm-hmm. got the broccoli, cut it up a little bit, salt, pepper, olive oil, put it on skewers and, uh, just kind of, you know, kind of like, uh, put it over the fire with the chicken. I'll, I'll send you the pictures of, uh, of my setup.
1: Yeah. I that's... called it
2: a uh, homeless man chicken because it was a, <laughs>
1: you
2: know, no, it's,
1: It sounds great. Like a fire. I, I got a, a new Weber charcoal grill for my birthday. So he oh, did nice. burgers last night. So like I'm, and I've got a smoker, which does uh propane and like wood smoke, like wood for heat sources. So I'm definitely all about cooking over some fire as, as Jacob knows, it's like, Oh, somebody has got to cook and there's a grill involved. Yeah. Mason will take over. <laughs> so. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, a friend of slappy and I, of of Slappy and
2: I, uh, we went over and he did the Brazilian uh cooking steaks, the Churrasco kind of kind of version that I, that mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, yeah. where he skewered he we'd ribeye, uh, boneless short rib and filet mignon, and so he had a Weber like one of those circular Weber grills, mm-hmm. and the way he 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 had a one of those metal trash cans that he cut the bottom out and cut some slots in, so he could put the skewers in above it Ooh. and did like a brazilian kind of uh grilling with the steaks mm-hmm. and it was just unbelievable so i said i gotta start doing this
1: yeah it sounds and awesome.
2: so just with my i've got like a big grill and smoker kind of set up and i've i cooked a ribeye on a skewer i, I immediately bought you know like nice big skewers <laughs> and then uh also bought a Trasco cookbook and did a. Uh, I also did beer chicken which mm-hmm. was uh, chicken thighs marinated in uh, beer, salt, pepper, uh, minced garlic, and then fresh chopped uh, rosemary, tarragon, but not tarragon. I'm uh, 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 blanking on the uh, time. No, not time. Rosemary, oregano, and uh, what's the... Uh, Man, I can't think of the other uh sage. Oh, sage. Ooh,
0: yeah. yeah, that sounds pretty yeah. good, actually. And yeah. then
2: and then skewered the thighs, and then about a foot over the fire, you know, cooked it, and you gotta you gotta keep turning it every couple minutes because you don't want to char it. Mm-hmm. You want to get it like nice and golden, and holy cow. That was amazing. So I said, you know what, I want to I want to roast a you know, roast an entire chicken. So I spatchcocked this chicken, did a cross with the skewers in it. And, uh, with the, uh, (laughs) with the, with the junk trees on my property that I, I've been cutting down and trying to process, you know, Mm -hmm. cooked it over this fire and and it was really, really tasty, but it it wasn't fatty enough. Mm -hmm. So it was like, the wine was like, it was like, I want fat. I want fat that I want to cut through. So Mm -hmm. I actually sliced up some, uh, some sharp cheddar cheese that like really like coated coats your tongue mm-hmm. and that kind of made the wine it, it suited the wine better because the wine like cut right through that chicken breast and uh kind of felt tasted really boozy almost i think because it just wasn't any fat to kind of kind of cut through so it was just kind of like hey we're here and, and we want to be aggressive and everything but um
0: yeah well see, that's interesting about about reds in general. um Cap Franc is, it, it can be more delicate. It just depends on where it's from, but because it is, uh, you know what they say always about Pinot Noir is that it's a ghost. And so it just mm-hmm. depends on where it is, like the flavors that come out. But like with, with capsop, for example, if you get a, vi- like the one I'm having tonight, for example, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll review mine a little bit. It And I didn't eat it with anything. I just drank it, but I can imagine what it would go well with. This is, uh I got it from, Kroger marketplace. It's, uh, Justin Cabernet Sauvignon. I think it's actually very good value. It's a 2018. Uh, I think I, at Kroger, it's about 28 bucks. It might be a little bit less than that. I didn't save my receipt. Um, but Vivino is saying it's $28 a bottle. Uh, not a typical, well, I would say a very typical classic California cab, Uh, a lot of vanilla notes, a lot of, uh, well, jammy to, to, to sort of like hone in on what you were talking about. Lots of black plum, lots of cherry, this very big fruity flavor for it. Um, and then, uh, but what I could see this going, I I could see eating this with chicken, but it would have to be heavily spiced chicken. And for other types of meat, it would have to be like dry pork chops or lamb or, some sort of like beef that is fattier, I think. And, and that kind of what you were talking about, about it cutting through the fat. I always think of that as, Oh, I see your picture here, Rallo that you sent me. I'll, I'll send it to Mason. real quick.
2: I just sent it to Mason too. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, we're, we're,
1: okay. yeah we're both oh, on yeah. signal.
0: Oh, it looks good. Yeah. Um, but uh, like the, the it cutting through the fat is usually associated with acidity. But I always think the fat and tannins are kind of more of the complementary forces. But I don't know. What do you think, Mason?
1: One more time. I was too busy with, like with celebrating like, over what Rallo sent us. Oh.
0: <laughs> Between so so when you're when you're talking about cutting through fat of something,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: do you usually associate that with acidity or with tannins?
1: I normally associate it with
0: dry. Um, okay. Which to, oh, just dryness in general?
1: Well, to dry reds. Because, okay. you, you know, that's the thing is like, you know me, I I always have it wrong. Like acidity sure. and tannin. Well, not wrong,
0: but. Well, yeah, yeah. i not wrong, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always kind of like reverse them. But like, that's the thing is like, I always like having an aggressive red with less fatty stuff. So like for me, I like the fact that like the wine comes in to dominate and changes its flavor profile now i may not like the idea that it got boozy because like especially with like a a cab franc like i'm not expecting it to be like a boozy wine especially like a french one because like you know maybe if it was like a like a weird virginia year or something like that like one like i could see it being boozy new world but like i like yeah i usually think of kind of place acidity more with pulling the fat off your tongue but in like mm-hmm. not cutting through necessarily but like complementing it like refreshing your palate but that's what i like okay. so much about aggressive reds with less fatty food is it like it's a complete reset to me like and then you get the the lingering of the wine with the food like to me i like that combination more than like a fatty food that's going to like clear my tongue a little bit more, but I'm not going to taste as much of the wine because it was doing so much work getting rid of that
0: fat. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, what, um, what tidbits do you guys want to have left Mason? Are you drinking anything tonight?
1: Uh, so I've had the like booziest weekend possible. Um, so we got that Gamay that you suggested when we were doing the, um, beef tenderloin. And then I bought a Spanish Tempranillo, not a Reserva, but they had a Reserva, but I bought the one below that. And that one was fantastic. And at Total Wine, they were doing a tasting. So they were also tasting a Tempranillo and, you know, being a drunk, I was like, I will taste this Tempranillo. So I have the San uh, Gregorio 2018 Tempranillo. It's a Spanish. It's 14.5 ABV. Look, it was like super inky black, the smell like this was probably the last three or four inches in a regular, regular non wine glass. So like it wasn't much left in it. Um, so like it had definitely ox- oxidized cause I didn't cap, I didn't recork it very well uh, letting it sit. So smell was red wine, but it was dry with mild acidity uh, red fruits with a, like a long finish. Cause like we had fried chicken tonight. And I had this with the fried chicken and my wife, fried and then double like fried the chicken and then baked it off to finish it. Um, oh, so like okay. oh might, that's how my mom yeah. does
0: it. I wonder if that's a California thing.
1: Uh, I think it's just something she looked up online, but it may be have been from a recipe from somebody from California. So okay. not as much fat as if we had been eating the um, the other, you know, the beef and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, that's standard stuff. So that's where it was like, okay, like with a deep fried chicken that was obviously kind of fatty. So I thought it went really well and it was like $10. So that was the one thing we didn't get from Rollo's like, where did you get the wine? And do you remember how much it was?
2: Um, What's the name of the site? Uh, let's see if I can find it. So like wines direct or something.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got it from that. And it was probably, I think they're running like a special or something where you get like, you know, six bottles for like $9 a piece or something. So it was was probably pretty cheap.
0: Yeah, you Uh, know, I know a lot of like uh, wine people kind of complain about those types of sites, but Mason, you and I have talked about this several times. I think that's a great way to get introduced to mm -hmm. different types of wine. I because think wine a lot of times like fantastic. Yeah, I mean because even even now, like I don't I don't always know what to get. Like I, I do have a I would say a wider birth of experience than most people, but um yeah I, I think that it's it's kind of a tricky thing to kind of learn new wines. Like this to me what what you're talking about Roller sounds interesting. It's it's a, a grape that isn't famous from being from that part of France it's usually Bordeaux or Loire that is uh is where Cab Franc is mostly grown but I've had Cab Franc from Italy and I've had and places like that which is farther south and it sounds very interesting so I I would actually wouldn't wouldn't at all be upset looking that up and just trying it out it's just it's a it's from a different place and that's kind of interesting
2: yeah I I appreciate the uh you know the winery direct kind of thing because it's. I, you know, I'm my my family's Ital- mostly Italian, and uh, you know the wine that my parents would get were, as my mom would yeah. say, were dego red, so it's dry reds, <laughs> Cabernet, and you know maybe a, you know Merlot, maybe an odd Chianti here and there. Never white wine. White wine, maybe for cooking. Rose, absolutely not. But when you know you could buy, you know, oh, I gotta buy, you know, six bottles of wine, and you know, kind of looking through, you know, I've recently bought some rosés and and trying to get into whites, and talking to you guys and Jackson.
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, Jackson. Yeah. yeah he's, he knows what's up? He knows what's up.
2: Yeah, and and you can like, especially pairing it with food and everything. You know, really opens uh, open some stuff up. And I got, you know, recently uh, when I did this, the feast of the seven fishes that we talked about. Um, I did that and I, I had a bottle of, uh, of, uh, an Italian white and my brother and my mom who were, you know, normally would, would, uh, throw their noses up to a, uh, a white wine. They were drinking it like, wow, this is, this is really good. they am like, yeah, there's, there's more yeah. <laughs> white wines, just not like sugar. There's actually, you know, and, and when you, you know, take time to pair it with stuff, it, it can actually be really good. And, uh, even for, uh, when, when we did the, uh, remember the, the, the Ron Paul day mm-hmm. yeah. and I, and I had a barbecue at my, uh, you know, I, I didn't call it Ron Paul day cause I invited a lot of Normie people just had a barbecue and, uh, I bought, actually, I don't think I even opened it for Ron Paul day, but I bought a bottle of Rosé cause it's like, all right, it's a, it's a barbecue. It's hot out. That'd be kind of nice and yeah. refreshing.
0: Ro- Rosés can be really good with barbecue because yeah. it's, it's, Extra fruity, but it mm-hmm. also is tart and yeah. has like yeah, it's it's a great. It's a great wine for that.
2: And and the bottle I bought because it was kind of fun. I was at the store and I'm like, "What am I going to get?" And I found this bottle and I thought it was just funny because it's called Black Girl Wine. Yeah, and it was a rose. I think, I
0: think I think it's black. Is it Black Girl or Black Chick? I think uh, uh this is. black I it up. Black Girl Magic Wine, I think is black, it was, Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. And yeah, I, yeah. I bought <laughs> yeah, it because
2: it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. And I opened it up and drank it like this is actually really good. And then <laughs> another bottle I got from the uh wine year maybe I didn't open it yet. But like you know, the once you start understand you know, you start paying a little bit of attention to what you're drinking and you try to like take time to pair it with what you're eating, man, it's it's amazing what it can do. And and I also want to bring this up cuz you just mentioned Tempranillo a little bit. I never heard of Tempranillo before until you guys were talking about on the podcast, and I started drinking it. Holy cow, is that good. Yeah. And yeah. I think it pairs. I like making, you know, every once in a while I make some macaroni and cheese and not just, you know, actually like take, you know, pair, you know, blend different cheeses and everything and make it like, you know, a little bit higher end. Temper Neo <laughs> with macaroni and cheese is just perfect.
0: Well, love that it. sounds like something I would love. Mason probably wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, sorry, Mason. <laughs> well, that,
1: that's yeah. the thing is like, and that's one of the things I love about the idea of the show and like wine in general is like, I don't like cheese, but I still like wine. But yeah, this wine is helping enhance something that you really like to eat and do, and like. It was good before, like, I mean, obviously you wouldn't have gone through the trouble of, of making that sort of macaroni and cheese, but like you literally went and did all this work and all that stuff. And now you're literally going like, oh, and now this is enhanced by this wine type that I'd never heard of, except for these two guys I know on the internet have been talking about it <laughs> for, for like, as long as I've been paying attention to what they've been talking about, they have basically talked about this wine. Let me give it a shot. Oh, this is really good. Like that's so awesome. Like the even though it's like based on something I don't care for, like the idea that you're just like, well, let me try these together. And like just imagine if you tried something, you know, like all the other stuff you could try, where you're like, well, let me try this combination too and see what happens.
2: Yeah, you guys have opened up my wine palette and understanding and appreciation by like a (laughs) thousandfold. Like I before before listening to you guys, you know, I enjoyed wine. I would drink it, but it was like, yeah, it's wine. You know, wine's wine. As long as it's not like a sugar bomb, you know, I'll drink yeah. it. But now, you know, starting to just hearing how you guys explain, you know, the different flavors you, that you get and, and different kind of feels. It's, you know, I try to do that myself and appreciate the different things. It's like, man, the the idea. I, you have no idea how excited I was to be able to, be able to come on tonight and say, you know what. This had a pretty jammy taste to it. <laughs> yeah. Because that was the first thing. When I when I opened up this bottle, I was like, holy cow, it's it's really jammy. This is great.
0: Uh, again, and I have I have a similar experience to that when like people kept telling me buttery, buttery, buttery. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've never had that. And then when I went to Green, uh, I think it was Green Hill Winery or mm-hmm. whatever it was up there in northern Virginia, and I had a I actually had a cab Franc, and it was buttery, and I was like, whoa. This is that flavor. And, it, and it's really fun to hear people describe things and you go like, yeah, I don't really get that or whatever. And then once you taste it, then it's easier to identify
2: or or the ability to like understand what you mean when you say it's gravelly or stone and be able to yeah. tell the difference and and say that sounds pretty good or it's leathery or to, like I don't I don't smoke, but like I understand I can get a feel yeah. for what tobacco
1: mm-hmm. is.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, always, I always, I always have like because a lot of my flavors are like memory based. So there's a grocery chain in California called Raley's, and um, back when I was a kid, I don't know what they have now, but when I was a kid, the tobacco section was locked up right there in the front area where you check out, and they always had like you know cigars and and chewing tobacco and stuff like that. And there is that very strong tobacco smell right there at the front, and that smell is trans in a taste whenever I taste that tobacco note in wines I always think that's super interesting right
2: or even or even something as crazy as like it tastes like dirt mm-hmm. and to the person that doesn't understand what you're talking about it's like oh that sounds disgusting but like, mm, no it's 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 got its place
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's really really interesting and uh man it's I to open up for something like something I don't want to say simple as wine, but for something like wine where it's just uh, you know, the average not the average person, but but someone might say, ah, oh, you know, wines, yeah, I'm sure there's there's good wines and everything. But to, to really start it and and man, I am like on the barely understanding what I'm doing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, but just but just that little bit of appreciation yeah. and like thoughtfulness and understanding goes into it just opens up opens up worlds. It's amazing. It, it really, really makes you appreciate what's going on. Really really yeah. makes you appreciate and, some and, of the some of the, the subtleties.
0: The the pairing also when you start eating it with or drinking it with food mm-hmm. that that sort of flavor enhancement both ways of the food and also with the wine when things are paired well. And, and I learned this for the first time when I was doing my wet, uh, W set course, uh, is they would be like, try this food and drink this wine. And you're like, okay, interesting. And then they're like, try this food, but squirt lemon juice on it. And then drink this wine. And you're like, Whoa, that's completely different. Yep. And it's, and, and that kind of learning the pairing, like I, You know, Mason and I have discussed this a bunch of times is we both kind of drink wine by itself. I think Mason probably eats it or drinks it with food more often than I do. But um, when I do have a a food and a good wine pairing, it really is a greatly enhanced experience. Like the wine snobs are not joking. It, It really is a an improvement. Mm
1: hmm.
2: Yeah, well, I, I found that just tonight when I I opened the wine and drank it, and it tasted a certain way. And then I had it with I had it with the breast meat of the chicken, and it tasted a certain way. Then I had it with the broccoli, and it tasted a different way. Then I had it with the dark meat, and it was different. And then now with the cheese, it's different. Now just drinking it on its own, it's different again. I I think the first experience I had was when I did a uh, a scotch tasting. Yeah, some years ago, and it was three different scotches. And we had them each straight and then had it, you know, 50-50 with spring water and it and it completely changes it. And we're eating it with uh, bacon-wrapped dates. And you just, like, start to understand that, like, man, you change your the little bit of the taste in your tongue and it's totally different. The other thing that's really interesting to me now that i started to gain an appreciation is, you know, everyone loves to say, like, oh, you know, you could spend a hundred, you know, a thousand dollars on wine and it tastes no different than a $10 bottle of wine. It's like, that's that's bull crap. <laughs> well,
0: <you> know, <laughs> I, mean, there, I mean I mean there is something to it, but it's not yeah. it it's like after a certain price point, there's not a huge difference. Yeah. Like
2: there's there's yeah. good ten dollar bottles of wine. Like there's some Chilean wines like cab uh what's it called?
0: Uh,
2: uh El Diablo.
0: Carmonier, Carmonier. Well, I, I like Carmenier from Chile a lot and mm-hmm. it's uh and it is priced really well, I think. Uh, and yeah, you can get it for 10 bucks. It's a, it's a good wine. You can get, you can get cab sob for 10 or $15 and it can be good. I, I, it's, you know, I always, right. talk, we always talk about freak show and, and freak show is its own thing, but it is good for what it is and for the price. Yes. yes. So, but,
2: but then you go like, even I can notice a bit of a difference when there's a difference between the $10 bottle of wine, which is good. I don't want to take anything away from it. We go to the $30 bottle of wine. You're like,
0: there's a little mm-hmm. bit more
2: going on. And then that bottle of wine that we had at Childerberg, holy Yeah, the one Mason brought. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow.
0: <laughs> yeah. It it, is, it is a very, it's a it's a wildly different world. And and what's interesting about that though is when you get into that price point, and it may be an experience thing, but it's like peanut to me, and then some of the ones that I've had that are, you know, actually, Mason, you and I did an episode after Childerberg one with that $200 bottle Mm -hmm. from Oakville, the Oakville, uh, or is peanut Oakville? I don't remember, but Uh, it's close that. Yeah. That peanut versus that 200 Oakville. I I think the peanut is better and, or at least it was better for me. And, but then I've had like a $60 bottle of groth and the $60 bottle of groth I think is also phenomenal and probably compares with the peanut mm-hmm. and it just it's kind of like one of those things is that like once you get into those higher price points it's kind of hard to discern if you're not a wine enthusiast and and, and i would say mason you and i are mid-level i wine mean enthusiasts, we're, we're I guess.
1: enthusiasts whether
0: yeah we're enthusiasts but i wouldn't say that we're experts mm-hmm. i mean we, i have a certification but my certification is kind of like you know it's just it's just for fun Uh, but the, but people, once you get up into that kind of higher levels and that's like, that's what their job is, it's a little bit different. But, you know, we've, we've also covered multiple stories where somebody gets, you know, served a $20 bottle of wine and somebody else gets served a thousand dollar bottle of wine and they don't know the difference. So a lot of it is also perception. Yeah.
2: That, by the way, that was a great episode you guys had where you have that. Yeah. I, I thought you guys nailed it with the uh, with 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 the libertarian answer on how to how to
0: deal with it. <laughs> yeah. it, it was really weird because I didn't know what to think about it. And I was like, "It's it's kind of fraud, but at the same time, it's like if they enjoyed it, what do you do?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
2: it's tough. It's it's yeah. it's tough. That's one of the where you, you stare into the dark abyss and you realize that there's no really good answer, no really good one answer. But so you just kind of muddle through
0: it, but. I thought you and that's uh, that's I think the theme of this episode is there's no really good one answer. We just (laughs) kind of have to (laughs) progress through the world, you know, making decisions. So yeah, exactly. uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, Rollo, why don't you go do your plugs, and Mason, you can do our plugs.
1: Sounds good.
2: Sure. Thank you. Uh, Thank first of all, thanks so much for having me on. Of course, I I, I really do enjoy your podcast. Coming on, it was uh, great. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and talk about this stuff. But uh yeah, you can check us check me and uh Slappy Jones out at McFlugel.com where we have the Rollo and Slappy Show, which is a weekly podcast about libertarianism. But now pretty much we are a uh, a a what I like to I, I like to think that we're bridging the gap between libertarians and Bitcoin. Uh that's that's really kind of our uh I think our niche. And uh, we also have a blog there. We don't write as much as we used to, but every once in a while we're there. And uh, also check out com where we sell uh, Bitcoin and libertarian themed mugs.
1: Yeah. Right so, on. So Rollo is at least a uh, so far to Pete uh, guest of Childerberg, uh, or attendee, I should say. So I'm sure he'll be there for a Tree, uh, which is the 29th through the 31st of May right. um, in that's 2021 at the, I was going to say the Amalong Metropolitan Park, but that is not correct. <laughs> it is that the Mule Shoe Bend recreational area. It's a fantastic uh, recreational area um, in Texas it's central yep. central texas i um, think is
0: yeah there. i guess central, central. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what i would say yeah, yeah. i
1: always want to say south central texas but i know that's not right after many times of screwing it up uh so that's our annual event in texas for the liberty minded and even if you're liberty interested um lots of fun people lots of interesting things it's uh Close to Austin is about 40 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic and, you know, how you drive. Um, Plenty of places to rent a hotel if you don't want to stay on site. Uh, Plenty of places to camp if you want to camp. Um, You can follow us, Tasting Anarchy at tastinganarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, Childerberg on Twitter, and send us an email if you like at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and Reddit pages for all of those. So, yep. Yeah,
0: And uh, this should be a, well, well, maybe I'll put this episode out in front of everything else just to keep things timely. But um, we've actually, I will, I'll I'll put it out. I'll put it out this week. So we've got some uh, big Chilterberg announcements coming out this well, big meaning I'll have the website back up this week Mm -hmm. and um, hopefully I will have the new t-shirts available for anybody who wants to order a new t-shirt. Fantastic. Um, I think Rollo, did I send you the design?
2: Yes. Yeah,
0: I saw it. It it is choice (laughs) it's going to be a good design people are going to really like it i think this year i think i'm going to have a color version and a black and white version available but i got to work out the prices and stuff Mm -hmm. because color is expensive but if people want color i'm happy with it i've also had a couple of requests for the quote-unquote lost design from last year the the second investigate childeberg t-shirt which i announced and then never released so (laughs) um Because it was kind of supposed to be the Childerberg dose shirt, but Mm -hmm. because of COVID, I wasn't sure exactly what we were doing. So I did, I was like, I don't want to put this out. I don't know what's going to happen. I happen to be wearing it right now. Um, just because it's a long, like the one I have is a long sleeve and I was working out in the gym. Um, and our gym is in the garage. So it's chilly. It's like in the fifties right now. But, um, so it's, uh, (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, So it was, uh, yeah, but anyways, I think I'll be re-releasing that. I had a couple of PM like private message requests for that design. So I may put that one up as well. I would be ecstatic if people bought both because this year's Childeberg is going to have a a little bit more to it. So it's going to cost a little bit more for me. And I think that, um, people buying the shirts or donating is going to be really great. So I'm going to, I'm going to definitely have the website up for donations and for the new, for at least the new shirts by Friday this week, which is uh, today's the 24th. So that will be Friday by will the, be 29th. the 29th. Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that happens because I need money. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll have, I'll have that up. So uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, this has been a great episode. Thank yeah. you for coming on Rollo. Yeah.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. This was of this course. was uh, truly a blast.
0: I love yeah. it. We'll have you. We'll have you on again, uh, probably sooner than later, because you're you're such a fun person to have on, and mm-hmm. I didn't get to any of my articles. Yeah, and yeah. so, <laughs> oh, right. of shoulderberg. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I guess from us at Tasting Anarchy, stay free. Stay free, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Did someone die?